0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Six months ago, the biggest publisher of our magazines pulled the plug on them suddenly during Level 4 lockdown and on the jobs of the people who made them. And now many of them are back, pushing past the commercial chaos created by COVID-19. Indeed, one company is launching four new titles in four weeks. You could see all those empty pockets
0: at newsstands. They're certainly now filling up, so... Yeah, magazines are doing really well. Also
1: this week, there's nothing new about local council bosses and leaders trying to influence what councillors say to the media, but councillors gagging themselves is a new one on us. But before all that, some in the media went into bat this week for Trump's bid to put a Kiwi into a big global job. But why?
2: Another New Zealander in the running to fly our flag at the highest level. The Trump administration's nominated Deputy Chief of Staff for Policy Coordination, Chris Liddell, to be Secretary General of the OECD. Sadly, we've turned it all political, though the Greens say the government shouldn't support the nomination because he works for Trump.
1: There was News Talk ZB's Mike Hosking on his show on Wednesday, with a story that picked up a head of steam that day in the media and on his network in particular. Now Mike Hosking was right there that Chris Liddell, the Kiwi-born dual citizen and right-hand policy man for President Trump, is in the running to lead the Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD for short, though that in itself wasn't really news. The White House confirmed that in mid-September and global media outlets had been reporting that possibility as long ago as July. And back then it barely made the news here at all. So why now? Well, partly because, as Mike Hosking said there, party political differences over the idea broke out here this week. And on News Talk ZB, Mike Hosking made sure his own opinion was quite clear too when he asked National's Foreign Affairs spokesperson Simon Bridges for his view.
2: G'day, Mike. What do you make of the Greens' view? Yeah, look, it's childish. I mean, they're effectively saying because he's associated with Trump, he's beyond the pale. I mean, how ridiculous. I mean, you don't have to agree with everything about the Trump administration to support Chris Liddell. This is a guy who's a Kiwi, so as you've just said, he'd be flying our flag. And it's in our interest. We'd get great access from a guy who's clearly got the good
1: Mike Hosking was on the same page about the boy from Matamata, as Simon Bridges called him, being the right man for the OECD job. But Chris Liddell is not in Matamata now. He's in the White House in Washington, D.C. And of course, it's not up to the opposition to give the country's blessing for such an appointment. So later on the same show, Mike Hosking pressed a government minister on that, Stuart Nash.
2: But, do you do you like uh, Liddell? Do you know of Liddell? Oh, I know. I was working at Carthold Harvey when Chris Liddell was CEO. Oh, there you go. Do you like him? He's a, he seems a good bloke. Oh, look, he seems like a very nice bloke. But, you know, this is a lot bigger than appointing nice blokes, as you're well aware.
1: But Stuart Nash's National Party counterpart, Mark Mitchell, had no reservations on Talk ZB.
2: He's a person before performer. He's a Kiwi. And we should be backing Kiwis to get into any of these top uh, international roles, uh, especially a guy that's shown that he can continue to operate and be... Um, and get things done and what we'd all probably agree is a very difficult, um, uh, regime in, in, in the states.
1: But that question of just what things Mr Liddell got done in four years helping the Trump regime is an interesting one. Unlike many other Trump staffers, Chris Liddell's been in his role for Trump's entire term from the get-go. And the first thing Trump did when he got going in the Oval Office cut right across New Zealand's economic interests, pulling the pin on the Trans-Pacific Partnership that former National Party leaders John Key and Bill English backed so firmly when they were Prime Ministers. On Thursday, the New Zealand Herald's editor-at-large for Business, Liam Dan, was also on Newstalk ZB telling Heather Duplessy-Ellen that the Trump regime was undermining another international body that was once headed by former New Zealand Prime Minister Mike Moore, the World Trade Organisation.
2: They have vetoed the popular Nigerian candidate to be the new leader of the WTO, the the new director general. Uh, The the leader has to be elected by consensus. Um, And they've done that overnight and that really just throws a spanner in the works. Turmoil is the word that Bloomberg used. Um, I talked to Stephen Jacoby, one of New Zealand's top trade experts. He he really uh, was
1: a bit dismayed, Uh, called it, you know, he said if there's one way to wreck an international trading system, it's to make sure there's no leadership. And that was far from the only thing President Trump and his team had done to undermine international economic cooperation and development these past four years. That alone you'd think would make Chris Liddell's bid to lead a global organisation devoted to that a pretty hard sell here and overseas. And then there was the likelihood that Trump's man will be high and dry in less than a week anyway if Trump loses the election, something Simon Bridges pointed out to Mike Hosking on Wednesday like this.
2: If change at the election. and he wouldn't be the the denomination from the United States. But, you know, listening to your analysis this morning, who who can tell on those things? That sort of is what it is.
1: And while it's not really clear what that is, while party political differences here were the focus of so much of the media comment and reporting on this, they have no impact at all on the process. But on and on it went.
0: I actually think that we ought to support, uh, support a Kiwi into it simply for the benefits that it would bring to New Zealand.
1: But what might the benefits of having Mr Matamata heading the OECD be for us here in New Zealand? Well, just like National Simon Bridges, Heather Duplessy-Allen didn't say. And in fact, in the same show that same day, she'd already told her listeners there may not actually be any at all.
0: Uh, it may also be that he isn't the best candidate for New Zealand to back. He might actually not want to push the things that matter to New Zealand. So there's every chance that we might be better off backing another candidate who does want to push the things that are important to New Zealand? Perhaps that's the Australian candidate. I don't know.
1: That job is all about representing the mutual economic interests of 37 developed nations, not cutting deals for the one where you happen to have been born. And even to try and favour your home country would actually undermine the job, and even corrupt it. On the same show on Wednesday, Heather Duplessy-Ellen wound up saying this. As I said, New Zealand may not actually ever have to choose
0: to support Chris Liddell in his position, or we might choose not to support him. But if we do do that, then our decision should be driven by the quality of each candidate, not by how we feel
1: about their current boss. But echoing the earlier tub-thumping over Helen Clark's bid for the UN Secretary-General's job in 2018, you'll struggle to find even the names of the other candidates in our media this past week, let alone their merits and track records, and how their views at the OECD might align with New Zealand's interests or not. Exceptions to that this past week included the NBR, Newsroom, the spin-off's Daily Bulletin and the Herald's Liam Dan. But much of what they had to say about it was overshadowed by the stories about Chris Liddell's candidacy and political parties scoring political points and talk radio exploiting talking points about an issue that, at this time next week, could end up being a completely moot point anyway. Back in April this year, when we'd just gone into the nationwide Level 4 lockdown, the offshore owner of New Zealand's major magazines stunned the media industry when it announced it was pulling the plug on all of them immediately. And the staff were pretty shocked too. Among them, Sido Kitchen, the editor of Bauer Media's biggest-selling women's magazines, including Women's Day and New Zealand Women's Weekly. And earlier this month, she told the spin-off's media podcast The Fold she didn't see it coming.
0: I hate to go back and reflect on it that day in particular. It's really still pretty raw. And now you know it's not personal, but you can't help it at the time. I had such a personal relationship with my... I felt like I had such a personal relationship with my readers in particular and my team. So, yeah, it was brutal. It was really, really tough.
1: Well, on that same day here at Media Watch, we called Bauer Media's former chief executive, Paul Dykesel, and he told me he did see it coming, but he thought most of those magazines would be back. You know,
2: there's still a very good business
1: there the circulations of some of these magazines are still pretty damn good. There's an awful lot of people who still want to buy Woman's Day, The Listener, and North and South, et cetera. So these magazines can survive. And back then, those thoughts were echoed by the Magazine Publishers Association's chair, Nicholas Burrows, a magazine editor himself, on another spin-off podcast called Business is Boring.
2: Whilst Bauer was the biggest publisher and had this sort of heritage marquee brands It by no means was the largest chunk and, you know, it might not actually change the actual kind of dynamics of the industry as much as people think. You know, Bauer is a big brand, but there's another 200 or maybe 250 magazine publishers in New Zealand that just sort of go under the radar creating all this great content. So, you know, there's going to be green shoots coming out the other end.
1: But in the middle of the lockdown, green shoots looked a long way off with publishers, being and Small, going into the red. Critical ad revenue didn't so much dry up as evaporate and then the government suspended the printing and distribution of all magazines. But as we now know, that situation passed and those green shoots that Nicholas Burroughs spoke of started to emerge. The New Zealand Listener magazine is back already and Metro and North and South have new owners planning to publish again shortly. And now, one new company staffed by former Bauer editors and journalists, School Road Publishing, is also in the game, with former Bauer boss Paul Dykesall in as an advisor. School Road is now in the process of launching four brand-new magazines, a new monthly lifestyle one called Haven, and a monthly wellness magazine called Thrive, and a New Zealand travel magazine called Scout, both with former New Zealand Women's Weekly editors in charge. And already out now is the company's fortnightly magazine, Woman, marketed like this.
2: This year has been tough, especially for Kiwi women. Many of us lost our jobs, our sense of self. We needed connection, but
0: lost our voice and felt cast aside. Now, more than ever, we need a magazine that truly understands Kiwi women today. A community where New Zealand women will see themselves reflected and know they belong. Where their voices will be heard. This is Woman.
1: Well, the voice at the end of that advert for Woman magazine was that of editor Sido Kitchen, who, as we heard, was one of the women who lost their jobs at Bauer Media back in April. But now she's back, trying to take back part of the market that they've left behind.
0: I've um, hired 20 people, most of them ex-Bauer, that are used to are used to producing um, magazines at pace and doing it wonderfully well. So I could see this big gap in the market, and I it was I really wanted to get on the shelves asap. I could see on some of the titles I used to work on that, you know, they were taking so much more Australian content, and that was really noticed, I think, by readers. Um, <laughs> yeah, they didn't
1: like it, did they, Wyn? They didn't, <laughs> and it's
0: wonderful to see some, you know, some local content coming as coming back, but not nearly as much as uh, there was in the magazines. It's, it's now on the record that I was trying to buy New Zealand Women's Weekly, and I that wasn't a, it wasn't successful because they ended up hanging on to that title. But um, even though I've been editing Woman's Day for the night, you know, nine years prior it was new zealand women's weekly i guess that pulled at my heartstrings during lockdown when i was sitting there knowing that all these readers weren't getting their their weekly fix some of those subscribers have been you know getting the magazine for 60 years plus you know and at a time when i think they needed us most you know we couldn't deliver so anyway it didn't happen so but i already, already had a vision for that how i wanted to that magazine to be and I I guess some of those things I've been
1: able to do with this brand new
0: magazine woman.
1: Well COVID has clearly changed the magazine business Um, most of the titles which Went under or disappeared rather when Bauer Media pulled the plug are back in some form, not all, but but most. So, for example, New Zealand Listener, um, that's already out there. There are about three or four issues under their belt now, and looking very similar uh, to the, the the magazine that Bauer was producing before April the second. But I mean, these companies are now doing it on reduced circumstances, aren't they? Much smaller staff, uh, presumably smaller budgets. Is the whole business now one that's been downscaled and working on more meagre resources?
0: I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends still working at the um, magazines where I was before and definitely yeah, less resource, although um, I think they're realising that they do need a bit more a bit more um, help to make the mags sing. But yeah, I think the listener's been ring-fenced, you know, uh, Pamela Sterling and her team. They, they need all those wonderful writers to make that magazine each week. She knows what she needs to do that job.
1: Well, School Road, uh, this new company, uh, it commissioned interesting research which said that COVID had changed people's outlook. And, I mean, Woman is a different kind of magazine. We'll talk about why in a moment. But um, clearly that's, that's why, you know, you released the results of, of this research to say people's lives have changed and magazines and publishing needs to reflect that. But also I heard you say... There have been subscribers going back decades who wanted them back. It it can't be true that that everyone wants their magazines back just as they had them, and you're bringing out a product that um, you say has to change with the times.
0: I know with some of the titles that, you know, I'm definitely getting feedback this week that some of the mags have changed. They don't necessarily like those changes, but no, what I was trying to say was I, I just don't think that women were the biggest consumers of magazines per capita in the world here in New Zealand, and that didn't change overnight when Bauer changed its it closed its doors, you know. A lot of magazines disappeared, but that desire for them didn't disappear. That's what I was uh, really meaning. So, and uh, and uh, in the women's market, there are still a couple of magazines that haven't come back and so I could also see a, a gap there for us um, for a new magazine. So, you yeah, know, a magazine like um, Women's Day, for example, where I was before, fantastic magazine has its place, but, you know, they're taking about a third of is about a third of the content is New Zealand, whereas it used to be more like 80%, 85%. So that's what I'm talking about. There's a gap there for um, real
1: Kiwi content. In the editorial uh, of the first issue, uh, you say here, um, this magazine understands our world has changed and so have our priorities. Um, but how does that reflect in, in the actual journalism?
0: Well, I think, yeah, 9 out of 10 women said their priorities had shifted, in particular in regards to their health and well-being. I've really you know, focused on the offering of that content in each magazine um, in terms of their home. So, you know, home and garden is a key pillar for the magazine. Um, I think uh, women have also shifted their priorities in terms of their families uh, this year, so my parenting uh, content reflects that. Um, I also feel that women aren't looking for escapism in the same way that we were potentially... um, You know, a a year ago, I mean, we have sort of on that busy treadmill and, you know, the Women's Day filled this kind of escapism um, desire. So I think right now we're looking for this sort of sense of belonging, the sense of community. I'm not running the showbiz, international showbiz. I'll run a little bit from time to time if I think my readers will enjoy it. But really my focus is on local. There's a couple of pictures
1: of Kate Middleton in issue one, aren't there?
0: Yeah, but it's a story about a Kiwi who's writing about royals, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah, and made it will, made a kind of business I, out of it, eh? Hey? Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I know that my readers will love the odd royal story and they will love the odd international showbiz story, but isn't it interesting this year how, you know, with no film premieres years and no Oscars, and, you know, that, that whole Hollywood machine has sort of evaporated. Well, not quite evaporated, but it's really dialled down, and so, so is our interest in that whole um, world. So our magazine reflects that. I just think that people are looking for positivity at the moment.
1: Yeah, indeed, and I mean, there's a media element in the first issue: profiles of three uh, political editors who are all, all women. Uh, Radio New Zealand's, TVNZ's, and News Hub's political editors all feature. Um, but also, I can imagine that being the sort of thing I would have seen in a women's magazine, very much focused on them and their job, how they do their job, and so on their lives. Uh, but the, there's also a story about stuff chief executive Sinead Boucher, who now owns the company, how she bought it for one dollar. That one's a bit different because that's almost like a profile of someone in business. That's one you wouldn't see probably written in that way in, say, your previous titles like Women's Day or New Zealand Women's Weekly.
0: That's correct. I sort of sat there during lockdown thinking about all these New Zealand women in business that uh, were struggling as well and thinking I really need to do what I can to shine the spotlight on a lot of these women that have pivoted and Um, started new ventures or you know done amazing things and and Sinead Boucher was one of those women I'd never met her before but I was completely intrigued and inspired by her story buying stuff for a dollar and I just actually realized I didn't know much about that woman you know where she lived who she was what made her tick and you know how she felt as she took that um, amazing leap of faith
1: but also as you mentioned uh different different sorts of stories for example um there's articles about uh icu nurses you know working in this post-covid environment high school counselors even you know working with kids who have um you know got got different challenging circumstances at the moment as well these are the sorts of stories i imagine that you know wouldn't wouldn't feature in those previous titles or, or not in quite the same way um but do you think there is an appetite for people to read about these people who are otherwise you know unremarkable I'm, I'm really intrigued
0: by those kind of stories and if I don't tell them I don't feel like other people are going to to be honest so that sort of drives me I'm, I'm a think about supermarket workers I mean there's so many different what you would possibly say unremarkable remarkable um, jobs that I think have been uh, hugely remarkable so you know I'm really conscious of that with every issue that I'm putting together and the stories that I'm commissioning I'm really pleased, I sort of thought that I'd start with these these bigger issues and would see how advertising went and, you know, would I keep this sort of pagination. But had that discussion yesterday and I said, people are
1: responding. Well, earlier you mentioned that this is a new game now, a new business, a new industry on a new kind of commercial footing post-COVID and post Bower Media and their involvement. So four magazines being launched by um, your company, by by School Road. I mean, this is partly a partnership, isn't it, with um, sort of a kind of advertising business as well. Is this a new way of publishing where it's it's a, a commercial business as well as just publishing? No, I mean this is very independent
0: from Stanley Street. I guess um, this is Greg Partington's business. Yes, he also has Stanley Street. So, um, but the sort of agency side of the business is run very, very independently. But I think they have incredible resources that I can pull on, and um, wonderful photo studios, and you know, video um, editing capabilities. The digital team has been incredible, and so that, those that those. And they've got a whole social media team, so those parts of the business um, are what I'm excited about. You know what they can, what I can, um, what they can bring to magazine publishing. I think is really, really exciting. So, you know, the guys sitting alongside us building websites for launch, watching them, watching them go, and learning from them, uh, has been amazing. Those are areas where I can learn, and obviously, you know, digital is such an important part of publishing these days. And I don't necessarily think we've we really nailed it where I worked previously, for me to be able to have these four magazines launch with their own digital offering, you know, under their own mastheads, it's really important. I'm really impressed with what Stanley Street can bring to a magazine publishing in that regard.
1: Yeah, there's nothing much I can see in the issue one anyway in the the nature of what we might call sponsored content or anything like that. I noticed that the Magazine Publishers Association has uh, released a a new policy on that just just recently, um, perhaps recognising that this is an industry that has to reshape itself and and some of the the commercial arrangements, you know, will be being made anew by um, publishers, both big and small. Um, But is that an area that you're going to explore? Because, um, yeah, it seems uh, I, I would have expected in a new publication that that would be, you know, sponsors... Would would want to be able to get on on the content, but it doesn't doesn't seem to be any of it at all. I love integrated content, to be honest, so um,
0: I'm definitely going to explore that. Um, you'll see a mixture of brand and integrated content in the first issue. So, I, you know, your first issue is really your calling card, you know, to the industry. So um, there were those partners that were keen to jump on board. You will see that their um, their content is sort of integrated through the mag, uh, but there's also classic brand ads, you know. Uh, yeah, we do specialise in, in telling stories, and so um, that's definitely... I have had quite a few briefs where they would like us to do that for them. So you know, they, I like I enjoy doing that. I really enjoy um, creating content for um, advertisers. So. I but yeah it just needs to be clear that that's what it is.
1: It's not as if this wasn't going on before Covid as well no, like even no, not at all. big magazines like North and South could have you know several multiple page things for you know Lincoln University and things like that. Absolutely but in it's there. just
0: clear that the readers are it just needs to be clear that, 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 that that's what the readers are being um offered I think.
1: And look if we go it's 6 months <coughs> since um the lockdown the Bauer uh, media um exiting the market and all of the disruption that caused do you think in a year, if we were to look forward, that um, a lot of these publications uh, which have come up, do you think they'll they'll all be... Do I you certainly think hope
0: support? so. I think the pillars I've chosen for the four magazines are in response to this new world. So a well-being magazine with Wendell and at the helm. I'm really confident that's going to do wonderfully well. I'll see a domestic travel magazine with Sarah-Kate Lynch and... Haven. There are quite a few home magazines, to be honest, but I think this year we've spent so many times staring at those four walls at home and and at our gardens. For me, it's my garden. You know, I want to get stuck into my garden after spending uh, four months I didn't intend to spend at home. At home, <laughs> um, my home has certainly become my haven. So, but you know, we've made sure that um, Haven uh, is slightly different than all the mag- other home titles on the market. Yeah, I'm really confident that each of those three editors, you know, will deliver wonderful magazines that will resonate. I do, I mean, I have to say, Colin, that the magazines that are out there at the moment are doing so well. I've seen the figures, you know, if you compare quarter three 2020 to 2019, you know, the the retail sales for the top titles are, are majorly up year on year. I think some of it is lack of competition on the local market, so potentially that will change now that Um, My you know, my titles are uh, are about uh, launch, are on launch phase. And, of course, there's a couple more to return, like the likes of FQ. Uh, We've still got North and South to come. Um, There's a couple more mags to come. You see, FQ
1: Fashion Quarterly due back in, before the end of the year, right, sometime in December?
0: Yeah, I understand that's the case. So, you know, there will be, you know, soon there may be as many mags on the market. But anyway, those mags that have been um, on the shelves um, since... Well, I guess since Bauer closed its doors, mags were deemed—you know—mags were deemed non-essential. Bauer closed the door. There were no, you know, hardly, you, you could see all those empty pockets at newsstands. They're certainly now filling up. So, yeah, magazines are doing really well. And I guess it's—you know—that the magazine landscape has changed. But I do think this year has been incredibly tough, and you know, people have potentially rediscovered the joy of a magazine.
1: You know, six months ago, as you say, you couldn't sell them, you couldn't print them, you couldn't distribute them. Um, now. Uh, Almost more titles than ever, or at least as many as before. I think it's yeah. fair to say, or there will be by the end of the year, and uh, many more of them locally owned by a greater range of owners right here in New Zealand.
0: I think it's been lovely to see these um, locally owned, independent, you know, magazines having a gr- having a moment. They're, they are around the world, and they certainly are here in New Zealand. So, you know, a lot of those. Um, you know, one-stop shops—they've uh, just been doing so well this year. I think that's been really actually lovely to see, and it, certainly the MPA awards were the other night. Um, but you know, this year it was a really nice. I'm sure that a lot of people entered knowing that Bower wasn't going to be in the running, and so um, it was really lovely to see so many uh, local independents celebrated in that way, and also to see how well they're selling. I think it's fantastic. I think lots—you know—they they, yeah—they've probably just had this little sweet spot of course now many of us are returning um but i'm hopeful that you know we're going to get incremental um magazine
1: sales we'll soon know but I mean, could this be a blip? Sorry to be a um, party pooper, but if we if our habits have changed, there was lockdown, um, people missed the magazines they used to have. Could it could it, could there be a bit of pent up demand that maybe couldn't be sustained?
0: I do think it can be sustained, and certainly, I mean, I've had hundreds and hundreds of subscribers sign up this week as well, and a lot, of, so much. I mean, it's only anecdotal feedback, but so many women coming to me say who who, who haven't been reading women's magazines for some time but like this magazine, so. I'm really optimistic. I certainly thought, you know, with all the attention that a launch gets, yes, certainly you do worry, you do think that, you know, you get a, a huge sale just because of the attention that comes with something new. But th- the distributors have said we need more copies to keep the supermarkets happy, so I'm pleased with that.
1: But, but again if I look at the negative side isn't this all dependent on you know the performance of the domestic economy and if there is greater unemployment less discretionary income for households That's you know the, the magazines are a nice to have and they uh, are a nice
0: to have so they've got to have meaning you know they can't be a frivolous purchase, to be honest and I think that you know there's a beautiful but meaningful mix I think uh, there's a place for them so um, and they've got a role Colin I mean they they really you know people haven't been really asking New Zealand women um how they've felt this year, and I think that's what I'm doing with this magazine. You know, we haven't really had that chance to sit and reflect. And I think if you actually ask uh, New Zealand woman, how are they? How have you been? You know, how I think you know we've got a it's it's we've got a lot to say, <laughs> and um that's what I'm finding through this magazine. Even Dame Valerie Adams, my cover star. You know, I I wanted Dame Valerie Adams on the cover because it's Dame Valerie Adams. You know, I just think she's absolutely fantastic. it's celebrate her Reading chance I get. I get, but of course she's had her toughest year yet, you know, and I think um, you know everybody has whether you whether women were homeschooling their kids or they were frightened about going to the supermarket or they couldn't visit an elderly parent or they were you know their, their kids were overseas having babies they couldn't visit, you know or you know they, they, everybody has been affected one way or another this year, and I think um, woman
1: acknowledges that. That was Sido Kitchen, former editor of Women's Day, New Zealand Women's Weekly and other women's magazines until the sudden closure of Bauer Media back in April. Now she's the editor of the new fortnightly magazine Woman, the second edition of which hit the shop shelves this week. Its publisher, School Road Publishing, also launched the house and home magazine called Haven this week. And as we heard, there are two more, one dedicated to travel and one dedicated to health, due to debut later this month. And finally on Media Watch this weekend, from time to time we hear from local journalists that they're having trouble getting straight or timely answers to their questions from local politicians because they have to clear their comments with their leaders or bosses at local authorities or that local authorities prefer to communicate with the media instead through the communications people that they employ to put out the message that suits them. And occasionally local politicians get in touch to say they're frustrated by this too, but we hadn't heard of local councillors trying to set up a system which would restrict their own interaction with reporters until this week. Last Wednesday, the Waikato Times reported that the Waitomo District Council had voted 5-1 to one in favour of adopting a new code of conduct which would give elected members the option of turning to council staff to make their comments for the media, like so. It's recommended that members ensure that they liaise
2: with the council's communications staff where appropriate the chief executive in relation to any proposed commentary or regarding any media issues arising.
1: Under this code, elected members would also have to clarify when speaking to the media if they're speaking on behalf of the council or delivering a personal view. But why would all this be necessary? Stuff's reporter Lawrence Gullery, who was a former editor of Stuff's community papers in the region, reported that a review was triggered after all six Waitomo district councillors filed a complaint against their mayor, John Robertson. It was alleged that he had breached the existing code in a social media post which suggested which way the councillors might vote on possible rates rises for next year. And no prizes for guessing that the mayor was the one who voted against the recommended new code of conduct for media. And he went on to criticise the social media section of the code, which said elected members who wanted to have an official council Facebook page would now have to have it administered by council staff. But with the councillors clearly outvoting the mayor on this policy, it stands. So I asked Stuffs Lawrence Gallery, what will this policy mean for reporting the Waitoma District Council's affairs in the future?
2: Normally you'd get on councils one or two council laws that are quite outspoken, and and the mayor and chief executive moving quite swiftly to um, take control of their comments. But in this case, the the situation is in, in reverse where you've got quite an outspoken mayor. Um, he engages quite a lot on social media, which isn't something that the others are used to.
1: In your story, um, the mayor did say, I go on radio at quarter to eight every Monday morning. I don't expect to have to have spoken with council staff before that, you know, to get the the green light. I get called by newspapers all the time. He said, I don't expect the mayor or other elected members to be bound in this way. Does this media policy worry you in that it does sound like the sort of thing that will make it harder for you to get the kind of comment you'd need on on legit local issues in time.
2: It certainly does. It it just makes it a bit more difficult about what what approach do I take. I mean, can I can I still call the councillors straight, or you know, do I have to spend time making a carefully worded uh, email to the communications person
1: and then hoping that
2: I might get a response in the afternoon? So, a, a big part of the reporting is finding out why councillors voted a particular oh, way. And on this issue, it wasn't quite clear why they all voted to support this code of conduct. So normally you would you would hear that in a council meeting It wasn't expressed, so the next port of call is to actually contact those councillors directly. So that's not possible now. So, uh, you know, I have the option of um, trying to contact them and then the councillors invoking their right under the new code of conduct to go to the communications team, which could take hours or days to get the comments that I need for my story for the readers to understand what's happening at the councils. I can't actually see the Mayor, John Robertson, I don't know like, taking much notice of this policy because I don't think he needs staff out to deal with the media. He's a very experienced politician. And the, the, the policy, it is optional, so... The councillors are free to express their opinion on matters of the council, but the mayor at the meeting this week said that he could see councillors using that policy. Leaving him the only one sort of
1: really challenging it. Yes, there's a council senior advisor who's quoted in your story, Lawrence, um, as saying, This is a reminder for the elected members to pause and think do I need to run this past the CEO or communication staff, or do I need someone to help prepare for a television interview? no, no offence to um, the Waitomo district and uh, all the exciting things happening there, but it's not often, is it, that district councillors there are going to be uh, asked to be on television?
2: Not not often, but I think that refers to um, the publicity that Meg generated over the rates review earlier this year, where he did appear on Māori television on a number of occasions in terms of which way the councillors wanted to to vote. So. He was all for um, a rate freeze to to lower the impact of COVID-19 on the community. The councillors weren't so much. During one of his posts and uh, columns to a local newspaper, he indicated which way he thought that councillors were going to vote on the matter. That got the backs of the councillors up because they were of the opinion that the community should hear from them at the meetings which way they're going to vote and it shouldn't be through social media posts made by the mayor. Um, so he, he has been on television quite a few times this year ar- around the, um, the debate between himself and the councilors got multiple um, challenges or issues in that particular community at the moment. So I think, again, this policy is really aimed at curtailing the mayor uh, in terms of his outspoken nature and the way that he, he prefers to deal with the media.
1: Do you think in the end, finally, Lawrence, that this might mean you end up writing a bunch of stories and your colleagues too that say things like, you know, Councillor X was approached for comment and also Councillor Y. uh, They declined to comment uh, individually, but referred us to the council, which then issued this particular statement.
2: Well, I think that's really what it's going to come down to. I mean, as reporters, we've still got an obligation on behalf of the readers to try and get comment from those councillors. And if they're going to invoke their policy to refer to the communication staff, we're probably just going to get a generic generated comment from the council.
1: Mm, and those are stories that a lot of journalists don't like to write if they can avoid it.
2: Yeah, no, no, we don't. But what I can see happening is that actually the mayor being even more outspoken because he does give honest and open comments. And I can't see him really taking a lot of notice of this Code of Conduct. Um, So it will be an interesting uh, next couple of years to see how, how things unfold.
1: That was Stuff's Waikato reporter, Lawrence Gullery, who's been reporting on a controversial media policy at the Waitomo District Council. Well, that's all from the Media Watch team for this week. We'll be back again with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night with Midweek Media Watch on the Lately Show with Karen Hay. And then we're back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.